0: Hey folks, this is Kevin. On this week's episode of Risk, you'll hear Julie Polk.
1: It's the equivalent of them having assassinated half of the Supreme Court. And we call up and we're like, should I still go? And they're like, oh yeah, come on down, this happens all the time.
0: (laughs) That and more, but before that, Every year we get people telling us, oh my gosh, what a great idea it was to give the gift of a gift certificate to the storystudio.org to a loved one, a friend, or even a coworker maybe. With a gift certificate to the story studio, a person can get themselves into a two-day workshop, one-on-one training, a several-week-long workshop, there's our video workshops, there's all kinds of different opportunities for learning over there, and gift certificates are the perfect way to get someone started on their storytelling journey. It's not just a creative outlet. It can be a real boost for someone in their communication skills around their career. Or a great way to dig into personal growth. The Risk Book is another great way to share storytelling with folks this Christmas. It's definitely still available over on Amazon. So look for The Risk Book and get on over to the storystudio.org gift certificates for awesome gift-giving ideas.
1: Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
0: Now here's the show. Hello, kids, this is Risk, the show where people tell true stories they never thought they'd dare to share. I'm Kevin Allison, this is Yoshi Orange, behind me now, and we are calling this week's episode Learning Curves. This year has had a lot of that sweet Jesus, Learning Curves, left and right, up and down, any which way but loose. I'll tell you what, I am so looking forward to our final Risk live show of 2021. It is at Caveat in New York City on December 15th. It's 7 p.m. Eastern. It'll be live streamed on YouTube. You can get your tickets for either the live stream or the in-person show at risk-show.com tour. It's all winter holidays stories, and this year's show is especially strong. So come on out. Now, in a little bit, we're going to hear from Aaron Swigert, perfect example of someone who was a risk listener for the longest time, then did a little workshopping with us, and has now been on the show a few times. Just a joy. We've had the honor of watching Erin become a phenomenal storyteller. And so it's so much fun to have her back on today. But before Erin, we're going to hear from Adam Groppman, a writer and actor out in L.A., where this was recorded in 2015 at the L.A. Risk Live show. You can find Adam on Instagram at Groptimum. And here he is now with a story we call Room for Improvement.
2: Hi, Uh, when I was 30, I moved down from San Francisco to Los Angeles to the Fairfax district with all my possessions jammed into this one-way rental car. So it felt kind of poetic, you know? And I had this friend and kind of ex-girlfriend named Michelle that I met after college years before. And she ended up living down here in uh, the Fairfax district in an apartment with her boyfriend, Dan, who was like this little computer genius guy who grew up in Santa Monica. And I'll say, Dan looked a lot like Howard Stern, except five foot six instead of six foot six. So it's like a tiny little miniature, little itty bitty Howard Stern, who was like really giddy half the time, right? So Michelle called me up when I was still in San Francisco and been there a few years. And she's like, uh, yeah, you know, I don't love L.A. I mean, it's, you know, the weather's too nice. People here don't have an edge, you know what I mean? They don't wear black enough. They don't wear really cool shoes. It's too nice and happy. And then she told me she was moving to New York City, which was her lifelong dream, and that she was going to have a long-distance relationship with Dan. And then she said, but Adam, you should move to L.A. You would love it. It'd be perfect for you. You have to come down here and move into my old spot in the apartment. It's your destiny. So I said, okay. So I moved down to L.A. And shortly after that, I'm all set up living with Dan, brand new city and we're sitting in Damiano's Pizza on Fairfax having a slice and all of a sudden he says to me hey Adam do you like classes and I said uh, sure I guess I mean look like, what do you mean what kind of uh, do you like taking classes and I said well like what kind of class like painting or Spanish or I don't know just really great classes that will change your life I go, I don't know, throw it at me. What is it? He said, what are you doing on Thursday? And I said, "Uh, well, I don't, you know, I don't have a job, any friends or any money, so I'm not doing anything on Thursday. (laughs) You found the right guy. I'm in, right? So, and I'll just say, I grew up in Boston, Mass. And I swear to God, like to me growing up, California was this mythical place, like a fantasy land, right? We could do anything and live forever. And I, I didn't think I'd ever get to see California. And I wasn't even sure it existed. I knew they taped the Brady Bunch there, you know? But (laughs) I basically, so I'm out here, now I'm in Southern California. That's the absolute mecca of anything can happen. So fuck yeah, embrace it, go. I don't know what it is. So we drive down on Thursday in Dan's Volvo down just across the Orange County line to Cypress, California. And we go into this low-slung office kind of complex building. And I'm introduced to the hardcore, full immersion world of self-help psychology. And this organization called Psi, but spelled P-S-I. And the building is like 70s, 80s modern. You know what I mean? It looks like the regional headquarters of an electronics company. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. But it's also not, it's not coming at you with, like, columns and marble, which is, which is cool. You know, it's sort of like, we got the goods, whatever, you know. And there was, like, a Thursday night thing where we hung out in this huge lobby area with his Psi fellows he had been through a couple of levels with. And they had this incredible camaraderie and friendship. It was so rooted. It was like people you'd grown up with since like childhood and you would live through a plane crash in the Himalayas together. And they are so nice to me. They're so friendly and connected. And about an hour later, they're like, Adam, you have got to do Entry Level Psy. Oh my God. I mean, we want you to have this incredible benefit in your life like, like we've had. And I'm like, okay, um, I guess I'm open to it. And they're like, it's 400 bucks. And I'm like, problem, that's $300 more than I have right now. So this woman, Sophia, really nice, sweet, attractive woman i had been to- met an hour ago, comes up and forces $300 on me. She's like, I'm lending you the money. Here it is. Just shut up. You have to do it. So the next morning, Friday, Dan drives me back down again early in the morning to start my intensive all day long for three days boot camp basically of Psy. Now I just want to tell you guys to be, I want to be totally fair, is not like sort of Scientology kind of cult thing where they really try to take over your life like a religion or a unification church or the Rajneeshis or anything like that. It's more like really intense self-help, probably like Est or Landmark Forum or like if the secret formed groups or anything like that. Maybe they do, I don't know. Um, they try to keep, retain you in a corporate way like Apple or Lexus, you know what I mean? <laughs> So anyway, I go in this big room with 100 other new inductees, and it's kind of diverse, and there's this stage, and our facilitator comes out. And our facilitator is a guy named Tim. He's this blonde guy from Oklahoma in a gray suit, and he's real life, and he moves around like a shark. And he kind of looks like a combination of Roger Staubach, the actor Peter Weller, and Detective Mark Furman. And... I I like Tim, though. He's good. He is good. And he goes to this whiteboard, and he starts laying down these truths to us, these truths about humanity and psychology and ethics and morals and how things are connected and the positive way of looking at things and living and some of its diagrams and stuff. And Tim's awesome, and I'm thinking to myself, fuck, Tim's aren't made. Tim's are born. (laughs) You know what I mean? I can't... It's like a dude who can dunk a basketball. I mean... I could become that by listening to him. And I'm like, Adam, just try to be positive. So I'm in there and stuff and I'm doing it and trying to let out my inner Tim. You know what I mean? That's what I'm working on here just to give you an idea, there's one kid, then he splits us into subgroups that are about 10 people, right? Little manageable groups. And there's a kid in mine, and he's like a, a high school kid from Diamond Bar. And I'm like, this kid's in fucking high school, and he is actively getting his shit together. It's taken me twice as long in my life to get here, you know? I'm already behind. But I had to give myself credit, you know, for being there. So, I'm doing a really good job, I think, of being open to this crazy thing that I didn't even know what it was. And I think I'm playing along pretty good. And all of a sudden, in the middle of the whole three days, Tim points me out and he's like, Adam, you're not really being open. You're not sharing, you're not really being vulnerable. You're kind of hiding. Other people are really letting it out. And I went down there, and I have to say, I didn't mind feeling a little separate, like I'm writing a Rolling Stone magazine expose. You know what I mean? But I'm kind of pretending. But that, it really pissed me off. I'm like, he's accusing me of sucking at Cy? Fuck you, man. I'm going to step up and kick some Psy ass, motherfucker. You want me to share? You want me to spill my guts? Yeah, I'll fucking spill it. I would have spilled, like, I would have talked about my grandmother raping me with a summer squash. But she didn't. So instead, I had to tell a story about how when I, I lived in San Francisco, I wrote for this magazine that was kind of becoming prominent and I turned in the last story I did for them and they took the story about this nice guy doing this nice little endeavor and they completely turned it upside down and they made it a piece ridiculing him like he's an absolute deluded idiot. And it was so weird and out of character even for them and it came out published. I never got to see their edit and he calls me on the phone. He's like, dude, you're a fucking asshole. And I was like, I didn't write that. I swear to God, I wrote a really nice thing about you. And they, and and he didn't even believe me. And I called them up. I was so angry. It's just, it's unbelievable how somebody does something evil, like under your name is the weirdest feeling. So it really pissed me off. And uh, it made me less trusting probably in general, you know? And I could never bring myself to just sort of tell that chief editor, like I called, got his co-editor. Anyway, it was a horrible thing. So I had to let it go. And I'm down there and I tell that story and sigh. And everyone's cool, and I did feel, like, some relief getting it off my chest. And then I'm in the restroom after that, and a dude sees me in the bathroom. He's like, Adam, man, you have trust issues because you got burnt. High five! (laughs) Like, that sigh. It's like basketball practice. He's like, dude, you got a weak layup. Bam! You're working on it, you know? And, uh... It was really cool, you know, and and we did, to give you an idea of the exercises, sometimes we'd be split up into duos or small groups, and we would, it, it was about changing your thinking and changing your perspective, and then Tim did one weird thing where he taught us all how to get two to three hours worth of sleep in 20 minutes, and I never understood how to do it. I didn't, there was some weird state you have to get in. It's not just crash for 20 minutes in your chair. It's more complicated than that. And what I'm good at doing, like I'm, I'm good at napping, I can get about 30 minutes worth of sleep in three hours. You know, I'm like the opposite. But other people are like, dude, did you do the super nap thing? Oh my God, I'm like, yes, I'm lying. I, I tried, I didn't, I don't know how you get all that. But uh, we're going along. Um, in, in the incredible three days, you know, it's really intense. And uh, there's one thing that Tim puts on the board that I remember really well. It's, he, he draws on the whiteboard trees, just like simple trees, and then there's the ground. And then underground, all the roots of the trees meet. So they're all really one tree. There's like one big super root. And that's like people, that's like humanity. So we're all really connected. So if you hurt someone else, or someone else hurts someone else, they're hurting all trees. You're fucking literally hurting the one big tree, which is all of us. And it really struck me as so incredibly profound. And I know that that's on the level of like Green Eggs and Ham or Clifford the Big Red Dog. (laughs) But like sometimes you need that and not you know Marianne Williamson or Alan Watts, right? So we're starting to to wind down and they assign each mini group of 10 an advisor who is like a really advanced multi-level side person like Dan, my roommate. And we get this guy, Tom, really nice guy who looks and acts like James Taylor. Right? Perfect guy to have to not scare you away. And he's really nice talking to us about what we're learning in there. And then he's like, "Um, it's getting ready for you guys to really have to consider, um, I mean, you really need to do the next level. I mean, the next level of Psy. And it turns out it's this week long getaway to their Northern California camp in the woods. And there's trust falls and ropes courses. And it's intense. And you're there with them 24 hours a day. It's supposed to take you through the roof. And I'm like, oh, okay how much and he's like six thousand dollars and i'm like are you guys fucking crazy i was like my first car in la was the amount of the three-day intensive was four hundred dollars and i was like i could buy 15 shitty usvw rabbits for that much money (laughs) like i don't think a week in maui costs that much and he said to me Adam, you have to do whatever it takes to get the money. Don't, I mean, don't think about it, as six thousand dollars. But beg, borrow, steal, max your credit cards, call your parents. And I, just with me, I'm just like this wall goes down, just like that. You know, do, 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 that's it. Like I'm not there anymore. I'm just like. So we have our graduation on Wednesday night, and you're supposed to invite every single person that you know in Southern California, a friend or family, to watch you graduate. Well, I'm able to bring one person, and it's Dan, (laughs) who's already, like, a PSI champion, so it doesn't matter. So, you know, I do that, and then, you know, I leave PSI and drive back up to L.A., and I try to, like, look at all the notes I've taken, because we learned some really great stuff and some really positive stuff that could really help you. In the next, you know, several days or weeks in L.A., it sort of dissipates into the, into the cold, hard reality of L.A. And I'm not able to live in this incredible sigh kind of utopia of brotherly love. Mm-hmm. I thought to myself, though, oh, so I just want to say this. I did feel horrible for a few years because that woman who lent me the $300, Sophia started calling me occasionally and she's like, Adam, do you have my $300? And I'm like, no, I'm still fucking broke. I moved down here and I'm trying to get work and that's a lot of money for me right now. And I felt terrible. She's like, yeah, but you should be like earning money. I'm like, yeah, but right now I'm having problems earning money. That's why I went to sigh, mm-hmm. you know? So anyway, I, I think I eventually gave her some of the money and, uh, I'm probably going to send her a check right after the show. <laughs> anyway, it's been a long time. So uh, I just thought to myself, you know what? There's a lot of really good things that I learned down there and a, and a lot of great things Tim was telling us. But a lot of it should be like common sense. You know what I mean? Like you have to put out positive to get positive. And you never really know what's going on in someone's experience behind the facade. And there are some incredible teachers out there who could really, really help us whose paths we're going to cross as we can help others. But I don't think that it has to cost as much as 15 used VW rabbits. <laughs> Thanks very much. Uh, that
0: the income will appear of its own accord and in the right time.
3: I'm so excited to be driving to my grandma's house because I have had my license for just a few months and she lives in the next state over it's a five-hour drive this is like a big independent me deal but it doesn't take long into the trip for me to remember that I have been on this road so many times my lifetime as a passenger there is nothing new to explore here I am Cranking up the tunes and singing along and trying to, you know, keep myself occupied. And I have hours to go. I think you know what makes everything better? Orgasms. I should just masturbate. That's a great way to spend some time. So I'm in this section of road that has three lanes and I haven't seen a car in a long time. So I just line myself up in the middle of the lane thinking, you know, if I don't have some wiggle room, it'll be great. And it's just this long stretch of flat road, you know? And I start masturbating, but it's just not really working for me. I think partly because I'm new to driving and I'm super nervous about crashing and I'm focused so much on the road that it's hard. And I don't usually masturbate just sitting in a chair. So I think, you know, I drive an automatic. I put my left foot on the gas pedal and I put my right foot on the dashboard uh, in front of the passenger seat and this is much better as far as me getting off maybe not for driving but, but for me getting off it's working better I'm still super concentrated on the road so it's taking a long time but I am getting closer and closer to coming and as I'm getting closer and closer to coming it turns out I'm also driving slower and slower and my tunnel vision is just narrowing in on the road in front of me I'm not paying attention, but this corner comes up and I and I'm like, oh, that's right. You're driving a car. I should look around and see what's going on. And and as I look to the passenger side of the car, I see this old man in a tall truck with a huge grin on his face just pace carring me. I don't know how long he's been doing it, but I imagine quite some time because he's really settled. There's no look of shock anymore on his face. And I'm in this short little prelude and he's in this tall truck so he can look right down my leg, right up my skirt and into everything I'm doing and I am mortified. I get my right foot back on that gas pedal and I Slam down and make that prelude do things she does not want to do. But we get past the dude. And it takes me like ten years before I masturbate while driving again. And but I tell you, not once have I put my right foot back up on that dashboard.
0: is risk this is the modern lovers behind me now and we just heard from aaron swigert that was an anecdote that she sent in to us hey there's a big list of upcoming anecdote themes so to get your creative juices flowing go on over to risk-show.com slash anecdotes and there's the themes that'll give you something to think about ah yes yeah, a story about yada yada And then all the instructions are there, too, for how to send those to us. Maybe you can be on the show next year. Just like Aaron was just now, you don't have to have ever masturbated while driving because there's so many other (laughs) story topics that are listed there now. And before Aaron, we heard a little interstitial by our episode editor, Jeff Barr. Folks, your help has been so, so crucial to us this past year over at patreon.com slash risk. We are so thrilled to have an audience that is so devoted, that cares as much about all of this as we do. It really means the world to us, and we have every intention of not just keeping on keeping on, but doing even more in the next year. Coming out with our new podcast, Real, and getting back to touring, experimenting with social events. We're doing all kinds of brainstorming on where to take things from here And nothing keeps us going quite like knowing how much the show means to you guys and how much support you show us. Over at patreon.com slash risk, or some people make a one-time donation at paypal.me slash risk show, I want to give a shout-out this week to Rachel Inman, as being our latest Patreon member to give $25 or more per month. Thank you so much, Rachel. And to everyone else, don't forget there is so much bonus content over there at patreon.com slash risk. Folks, if you like good old-fashioned true crime mysteries, if you like stories where you feel like you're a detective finding clues, June's Journey objects you're finding and trying to assess whether they're meaningful or not you collect information filling out your own photo album and you're keeping track of all the characters there's romance there's scandalous family secrets it feels like a really fun play or movie and i've only made it through like five scenes but i am told you could crack the case All you need is an internet connection and downloading on iOS or Android. So discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. Our final story this week comes to us from Julie Polk. This goes back to December of 2014, when Risk was still at the People's Improv Theater. You can find Julie on Twitter at huli_ep, And here she is now with a story we call, Hi, Mr. President. That's H-I-G-H. You'll get it soon enough. Without further ado, here's Julie Polk.
1: So in my first year of college, I became friends with a girl who lived a couple of floors below me named Elizabeth. And she was like total California girl looking, blonde hair, blue eyes, tan. But it turned out that although her mother was from California, her father was Colombian, and she was born and raised in Bogota. And she invited me to go spend our first Christmas break, college, down there with her and her family, which was amazing, because it was going to be the first Christmas for me that was really different in any way. I grew up in this like half very waspy family and the wasp half completely controlled Christmas. So all of my Christmas memories starting from early childhood were we would get dressed up and go out to my grandparents house and we would sing the same grace around the table because my parents were hardcore Episcopalians. And my grandmother would make the same side dish for the turkey every time, which was basically a can of mushrooms and a can of peas mixed into this unholy Episcopalian form of succotash that we never really got over. Um, and the younger kids, the cousins, my cousins and I, would like escape upstairs after dinner while the parents were drinking sherry or port or whatever waspy aperitif they were drinking. And we'd go. There was a, a hidden room, like a, a spare second floor room that had its own bathroom that had this shower curtain with like a line drawing whimsical not dirty but of naked people and their dogs waiting to go into the shower and we were little so we were like naked people and we would like sneak up there and giggle and be sort of naughty and this is basically what my experience of Christmas was like none of them I have no individual memories of Christmas just this sort of one long really very lovely episode where the adults are doing their thing and the kids are like giggling behind a closed door about something sort of salacious and it was a time when you were in the family and you were just being who you were it was really quite lovely so it was exciting to me to have this possibility to go somewhere um, South America I'd never been and it was especially exciting for my mom who always used to joke with a little bit too much bitterness and a little bit too much frequency about how she had meant to have been born into the British royal family and didn't really understand what happened. But my friend Elizabeth's family was part of the 2% of Colombians who owned like 98% of the wealth of the country. Her father had been the Minister of Finance and her father's best friend who she knew as Uncle Virgilio was at that time the president of the country. And so my mother goes into this tailspin of like protocol learning and because I am told to buy a ball gown, because Elizabeth's family throws a huge holiday ball and I am going to meet the president and my mother is like, listen, I don't care what else happens, but you have to learn this protocol because if you're going to meet the president of a country, you can't just like be all casual and shake his hand and go, hi, Mr. President. Like that's not that's not going to work. So we're in this tizzy of preparation, and then about three weeks before we go down, uh, leftist gorillas funded most likely by Pablo Escobar, who was at the time the world's biggest drug lord, bomb the Palace of Justice, which is the Colombian equivalent of the Supreme Court. And they kill 11 justice ministers. It's the equivalent of them having assassinated half of the Supreme Court. And we call up and we're like, should I still go? And they're like, oh yeah, come on down. This happens all the time. (laughs) So, I get down there, um, and the ball—it turns out—has been canceled, much to both my and my mother's disappointment. So I'm just not going to meet the president. But and at that moment, it's other than that, it becomes a sort of actually rather ordinary Christmas. I meet my friend's parents and her younger siblings, and they live in this like split-level ranch house in what is basically suburban Bogota, and we do things like go to the mall and get manicures, but. When we go to the mall, we don't just drive to the mall. This We get driven in this sort of big brawny black Mercedes that's driven by a guy named Carlos. And Carlos says, do you want to see something? And I'm like, sure. And where you or I would have a cup holder, Carlos opens a little (laughs) compartment, and there's a gun inside. Because as it turns out, the ball wasn't canceled because of the bombing of the Palace of Justice. The ball was canceled because of a specific direct kidnap threat against my friend Elizabeth, who is sitting next to me in the car in the Mercedes. And so now it's suddenly not an ordinary Christmas again. But it's not because I'm going to go to a ball and meet the president, it's because I might be about to be kidnapped by a Colombian drug lord which wasn't really what i had in mind um and then i go to a a bullfight, but i was going to go with elizabeth but they decide that that's not safe for the two of us to go alone together so they send me instead with a a five foot two missionary priest who i take one look at and i was like i could totally take you So I'm not sure what the safety factor was, but we're getting into the bull ring, and it was smaller than I had expected that it would be, which became important when all of a sudden everybody stood up and turned toward a particular person and started applauding this man, and this man is waving there. And I I don't know what's going on, and the missionary priest tells me that the man who's waving is the mayor of Bogota, who I know from conversations my friend's father is having with Uncle Virgilio, and we hear this the president of the country, like through the grapevine the mayor of Bogota is in the pocket of the Colombian drug lords, and they're all in this very public feud, and suddenly I'm like now I really don't know what the protocol is, because what is the protocol? Do you applaud somebody who you think is trying to kidnap your friend and kill his father is it rude not to are you like I just was I had no idea what to do so I just sort of stood there and like smiled and twitched a little bit and then we all sat sat back down and so as time goes on, you know, a couple of weeks pass and my time is starting to, uh, to end and we get driven around by Carlos periodically and Carlos will say things like, where, where, where would you like to go? And I'll say things like, we should go wherever you want to go, Carlos. You have the gun, which is also not a normal Christmas saying in my house. But mostly, we just kind of hang out with Elizabeth and her friends, and we, I learn to merengue, we go to clubs, it's really fun. We smoke a lot of pot because Colombia. and I, I ask Elizabeth about this because it strikes me as kind of weird that we would be smoking all this pot while these drug lords are sort of threatening her family, and she's like, oh, they just, it's their cocaine. Pot's completely fine. So so we smoke a lot of pot, and towards the end, like, it's, I'm about to have to go back. It's the very end of the trip. And we're hanging out in her room, and we're really high, and we're, like, listening to music, just doing kind of whatever you do, cracking up, and there's a knock on the door, and it's her father. And she goes up and, like, listens to what he says, and then she turns around. She's got, like, her eyes are, like, just giant. She goes... Oh my god! And I'm like, what? And she goes, it's Vieti. And I, I'm like, why? Well, because I'm really high. Because I can't really understand her anyway. And I just, and I'm like, what? She goes. It's Uncle Vigilio, the president is here, and he wants to say hello. And the next five minutes is like every terrible high school drug movie montage you've ever seen. We're like stomping out roaches and like shoving ashtrays under pillows and like opening windows and like trying to do this. It felt like 100 years. I have no idea how long it actually was. And the door opens and this very lovely looking man in his mid 60s, he's got kind of a bird-like face and these big square glasses he comes in and he reaches his hand out to me and he says, hello, Julie, how are you? And at that moment, I am in a complete panic because I feel like I'm supposed to be doing something official, but I don't know what it is, and I'm not really sure I would be capable of doing it anyway, and this is truly the strangest Christmas I've ever had, except at that moment, it's also kind of exactly like all of my memories of Christmas from childhood where the adults were out there doing something sort of normal and the kids were behind closed doors giggling away doing some sort of naughty thing. And so I immediately just slide back into that feeling of like, eh, it's Christmas, this is familiar, I'm just going to be who I am. And so despite All of the Palace of Justice bombings and the kidnap threats, and the mayor at the bullfight, and the priest. When Uncle Virgilio, the president of Colombia, reaches his hand out to mine and says, Hello, Julie, how are you? I just become who I am, and my mother's worst nightmare comes true. I take his hand in mine and I look at him and I say, Hi, Mr. President. Thank you.
4: Russian. With passion, with the answer of love. Sounds so really make you rope and middle
5: bang
4: bang
5: How does it feel when you got no food? I could feel it cause it was the month of How does it feel when you got no food? So I left my gate and went out for a walk How does it feel when you got no food? As I passed the dreadlocks camp I heard them say How does it feel when you got no food? Pass the touchy left the touchy left hand side.
0: is all for this week's episode folks this is musical youth behind me now and we just heard from julie polk who you can find on twitter at juliep don't forget the final risk live show of the year is at caveat in new york city december 15th It's 7 p.m eastern simultaneously live streamed on youtube get your tickets for either the live stream or the in-person show at risk-show.com slash tour folks don't forget we'd also like to create a sort of a social event for risk fans in or around new york city so if you're one of those Email me at at Risk showcom and I'll put you on a list of people to contact when we do that. And folks, did you know that you can hire me personally for storytelling training? Sometimes I will coach someone on their solo show or help someone write an essay for publishing. Come find me at kevinallison.com. And don't forget to follow Risk on all our socials. We're at Risk Show on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. And on Twitter and Instagram, I am at the Kevin Allison. Folks, today's the day. Take a risk.
5: chipanile i'm side do the chipanile I need go One mistake, but she's trying, she's learning. Slugs have a faster learning curve, okay? Trees,
2: clams...